Thank you, Bert. Good evening, everyone. Could you turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1? 2 Peter 1, 1. So we're going to uh, be in the fourth hour tonight on the uh, Doctrine of Inspiration. There's, uh, it's a seven-hour series, so we're coming to the end of it. And then uh, we'll be doing inerrancy. I think inerrancy is like four hours, and then history, English, Bible will probably be over ten hours. I know that. And then we'll go into justification, sanctification, salvation, in that order. So um, just a preview of coming attraction. So let's uh, prepare ourselves uh, for this study. Anybody notice some really weird, Patrick mentioned this too, that uh, when I was coming out to uh, my car tonight to come here, all of a sudden, just come in like buckets, and all of a sudden I drive away, I get to the light, uh, Andrew Jackson, and it's gone. Come up here, <laughs> and I come over here, and all of a sudden, is that a delta? It sounds like it's pouring out. that stop. It was like that. It's just like a couple of seconds. So it's like the, just as Patrick came to the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of kind of funny. It's like uh, like little bands of uh, you know. Thought, it did last night. I was sitting on the porch, like around I don't know nine thirty or something like that, and ten o'clock, and it it did the same kind of thing, and then right hit my hit my porch, and then. It was gone in like in three seconds. It was weird. I've never seen anything like that. So, anyways, let's take a moment of silent prayer. We take this moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to see if we're in fellowship with God, and you uh, all know what to do. Let's let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. We have another day to, to experience creation and enjoy and uh, learn uh, from your word about your plan for our lives to become like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for everyone who is here this evening and those who might be listening uh, to these classes at a later date through our various websites and podcasts that you've given to us. I just thank you for this doctrine of inspiration. I pray it would be a blessing to the body of Christ, uh, both this evening and in the future with the recordings, and I just pray that you would help me uh, tonight to uh, bring forth this doctrine in this fourth hour, especially uh, what's being taught by Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Help me to bring this, uh, bring forth your full counsel tonight, uh, being sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction and to do it with accuracy and clarity, reverence and respect and power so that your people could get their necessary spiritual nourishment. I also pray that you'd help your people by the power of the Spirit to concentrate and to uh, carefully consider the passages and principles we've been noting here this evening and guide them in the application so that they can continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So, Father, it is in his name we pray. Amen. Should be at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse uh, 1. We'll be start, uh, I'll be reading from there in a moment. Uh, again, this is the fourth hour in the Doctrine of Inspiration. And the doctrine of inspiration contends that God, the Holy Spirit, so supernaturally directed the human authors of Scripture that without uh, destroying their, um, their volition, uh, or, or, you know, uh, coercing their volition, we could say, or disrupting their literary style or their likes or dislikes, God's complete and connected thought to mankind was recorded in perfect accuracy in the original languages of Scripture. So we, we, we're at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which talk about the divine origin of the Scriptures, and we'll be doing that also. Peter does the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. So uh, let's look at 2 Peter 1, 20 and uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, excuse me. And again, this book uh, is a, uh, he's dealing with false teachers. It's, it's the last uh, thing he says that we have recorded, that Peter says to the church. Uh, it's, uh, he's dealing with false teachers uh, in, uh, in, uh, among the Christian community. This was a Jewish Christian community because First Peter, Second Tim, uh, First and Second Peter, Hebrews, and also Jude, as we mentioned, are written actually directly to Jewish the Jewish Christian community. And so Peter's writing this, and this Jewish Christian community is dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. And he actually lists the provinces of the Roman Empire in which he was writing to Christians, Jewish Christians. And First Peter, he does that. So in Second Peter, he's dealing with false teachers. So he's now going to, uh, he, he's starting to get into uh, the bulk of this letter, and he says some quite interesting things in, in chapters 2 and 3. And, and chapter 1, though, he, he ends up the chapter talking about uh, 
the divine origin of Scripture in comparison to the false teachers who are not uh, communicating under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit like he, Paul, uh, Peter was and the rest of the apostles. So it says in 2 Peter 1.1, and again I'm reading from the NIV, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those through the, who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Then we have the greeting, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Then it says, we start the beginning of the body of the letter. In verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you'll be productive in producing divine good, and, and uh, which you uh, accomplish by uh, practicing the command to love one another, and that results in you the function of your spiritual gift. And so he wants them to continue to grow up spiritually. So then he says in verse 9, but for whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, and he's talking about believers in, in apostasy, forgetting what they've been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. You do that by living the spiritual life, staying in fellowship with God. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Rewards at the Bama Seat. Verse 12, so I will always remind you of these things. A good pastor repeats, and this is what he's doing. Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as death was imminent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, his physical death, you will always be able to remember these things because he repeated them to him. For we, do not, we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, talking about his first advent, and actually talking about, uh, as you'll see, uh, his transfiguration in Matthew 17. He received honor and glory from God our, the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. He's talking about Matthew 17, saying, This is my son in whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Actually, this is also talking about, uh, this was said to him at his baptism as well. So then he goes uh, in verse 18, We ourselves heard this voice. They came down from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. Very carefully what he's saying. We have a prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, human volition, but prophets, through though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a, two, uh, a couple of different translations because it's related to uh, one of the words uh, that you might not find in some of your translations, but I want to just compare the uh, different translations with, with what we just saw in the NIV. In verses 20 and 21 of the NIV goes of uh, the, um, the Net Bible. Above all, you do well if you recognize this. What's that? No prophecy of Scripture ever came comes about by the prophet's own imagination. And uh, I'm in agreement with their translation there. For no prophecy was ever born of human impulse. Rather, men carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Uh, look at the ESV, another great translation, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. And for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And just for... for 
a little fun, the New King James, they have knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for, no prof- for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you look at that, uh, in, it says uh, interpretation in verse 20 in, in NIV, as we just saw the King James, uh, they have... Um, private interpretation. The ESV has interpretation. The the Net Bible says imagination. And I told you I side with them. Not that the others are bad. Uh, Actually, the others are more interpretive. But uh, nonetheless, we see this word interpretation in your Bibles. Uh, This word in the Greek, for those who want to know, uh, it's the word epilusis. And there's the Greek and there's the transliteration beside it. It's what we call a hotpox legomena. We see this in the New Testament. It's a word that appears once in a body of literature. So we have them in all, all languages. So this word appears only once in the New Testament, namely our passage. Now the basic idea behind this word is an unfolding, is that of an unfolding, which can indicate either an explanation or a creation, and it's sometimes used in extra-biblical Greek for an interpretation. And this is how uh, the ESV and the, the NIV translate it. Other times it has the idea of solution or even spell. So even English words, they have, a different, they have what we call a semantic range. And so uh, Greek New Testament words or, or the Old Testament, Hebrew and Aramaic, there's a certain semantic range. Like if you look at the word English word ran, there's, you could be running for president, Okay, you could be running a race. Okay, you could be running the uh, decathlon, or excuse me, the marathon, something like that. So there's different uh, semantic range to each word, even in English. So this word had quite a uh, wide semantic range. Here, though, the context in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 would indicate the word means imagination. And referring, in other words, referring to an Old Testament prophet communicating a prophecy which is found in the Old Testament that is the product of one's own imagination. In other words, the prophets of Israel, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it, they were coming up with these prophecies because of the Holy Spirit inspired them, or as we'll see tonight, influenced them to put down in writing uh, uh, what, they, what he, they were communicating to the prophet. And uh, it wasn't their imagination. A lot of false teachers, they have a lot of what we call imaginative things that they come up with. And false teachers are obviously known for that. So unlike the false teachers that Peter was dealing with in the Christian community and trying to protect the Jewish Christian community from, and the, actually the Gentiles too, Christian community from these false teachers, the false teachers, the doctrines they have were of their own imagination, which actually also stems from Satan, of course, and his kingdom, which was uh, the source of these imaginations, we could call it. So Peter's statement in verse 21 would indicate that since, uh, would indicate this word means imagination here, uh, uh, epilusis, and, uh, and the reason why is that in this verse, he's emphasizing the divine origin of the Old Testament prophecy, and just a little uh, interjection here, when he says, above all, do, you do well to recognize this, no prophecy, and this is the Net Bible, no prophecy of Scripture ever comes about by the prophet's own imagination, for no prophecy, and he's speaking in the context of the Old Testament people, he's talking about the Old Testament here, was ever born of human impulse, rather men carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now, uh, Peter is writing this in the 60s of the first century. Uh, Both Peter and Paul were executed because of the Neronian persecution that came about because Nero set Rome on fire, and even Tacitus, the Roman historian, who's no friends of Christianity, uh, he said that they, he, he got some guys that set this fire because he wanted to rebuild Rome in his own image. A lot of the Roman uh, emperors were like that. They, wanted, they were very great builders. You know, King Herod was like that too. So they want to memorialize themselves and uh, with their tremendous egos. And so we see that, uh, that uh, so Peter gets executed in that Neronian persecution along with Paul in the 60s. And it's actually in the 60s, the, like the, the early, from the beginning of 19, AD 60 into the late 60s, you had the synoptic gospels being produced. Okay, we had Paul's writings were pretty much done in, about that time when Paul's death came up, and then you had uh, John's writings. He still had yet to write uh, the Gospel of John, First, Second, and Third John, and Revelation. That didn't come to those five works came from, to John by the Holy Spirit when he was an old man. It was in the last decade of the first century. Quite interesting. Just goes to show you. Don't think that God's done with you when you get into your 80s or 90s because you might, you know 
God might use do mighty things to you like he did with uh, the Apostle John. So, uh, so these, uh, what I, I'm mentioning all these things because the, er, the earliest writings that, uh, as we saw in canonicity, that were ex- recognized as being scripture were really Paul's writings. And also you had James, of course, he was one of the early ones. And Galatians was probably the earliest of Paul's writings, or maybe even first uh, Thessalonians. So you get to, when Peter's writing this, he's talking in the context of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament was actually their Bible, because the New Testament was in the process in the first century of being written. So you had, uh, which is quite fascinating, as, as today there is a great neglect for the Old Testament in the Christian community. And some people, who, some pastors who are considered great teachers, uh, they, they neglect it altogether, which is astonishing to me and amazing. So, as I said many times, this came from, not from me, but B.B. Warfield, the great uh, theologian and uh, scholar, biblical scholar from Westminster uh, Theological Seminary, and he lived in the world, he lived in the, uh, the, the Civil War period. I think he was actually fought in the Civil War. So he, he was actually, uh, came up with this. He said, the Old Testament is like a dimly lit room, and the New Testament is like a bright shining light that casts light into that room. In other words, we know that the Old Testament makes sense because of the New Testament revelation, which is about the Lord Jesus Christ who established the new covenant that God made with Israel. So Paul's, uh, Peter's talking about the Old Testament, just like it's same, in the same situation with 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, as we pointed out last week, Paul's really referring to the Old Testament when he's talking about Scripture here. Peter's doing the same thing because, again, the New Testament was in the process of being written, and it was in the process of those books were being processed, of being recognized throughout the various churches of the Roman Empire as canonical or inspired by God. So it's, if you look at the NIV again, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. So, uh, when he says, as they were carried along, that's the participle form of the verb pharaoh. And uh, this particular word means to be moved, to be influenced, to be driven, because it pertains here to causing someone to follow a certain course in direction or conduct. So uh, let's take, for instance, the word influence, the English word influence, because this word in this context means influence. It can mean to be moved. You see some translations translate moved, uh, or to be, I like to choose to be influenced, and I'll show you why. Because either one of these words, uh, moved, influenced, or driven, uh, pertain to causing someone to follow a particular course in direction or Conduct. So Webster's, interestingly, they have a great influ- uh, definition for influence. Number one, they say it's the capacity. I'm going to paraphrase this and apply it to this passage here. So this word, pharaoh, in the participle form means to be influenced or driven to a certain course of action or, or conduct or influence, we could say. So influence, the uh, Webster's say, uh, the, uh, they have three definitions here for us. One is it's the capacity or power of persons or things to produce effects on others by intangible or indirect means. Number two, it speaks of an action or process of producing effects on others by intangible or indirect means. And number three, it pertains to a person or thing that exerts influence. Now, if I paraphrase that definition uh, and, and apply it to our passage, Peter is telling us in 2 Peter 1.20, he's telling his readers that the Old Testament prophets were influenced by the omnipotence of the Holy Spirit. And omnipotence is the intangible means. And, uh, and that omnipotence of the Holy Spirit, and he's a person, uh, which enabled them, the prophets of Old Testament Israel, to communicate in writing with perfect accuracy. And that's the effects of this influence. And so, the, the, what, was the, what were they perfectly uh, uh, communicating and writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? The Father's sovereign will. So again, if we paraphrase this definition, Paul, uh, Peter, excuse me, when he's talking about this word uh, to, um, he says that, that uh, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own imagination He's actually, that uh, came about is the word Pharaoh is what they're translating there, or carried along, excuse me. And, uh, and that's uh, speaking of being influenced. So he's telling his readers that the Old Testament prophets were influenced by the omnipotence of the Holy Spirit in tangible means, and the Holy Spirit's a person, which enabled the prophets to communicate in writing with perfect accuracy, 
That's the effects. God the Father's sovereign will. So the present tense of this verb, Pharaoh, is quite interesting. It can be interpreted as a gnomic present, which is used to make a statement of a general timeless fact. Now, this would indicate to us that Peter is saying that the prophets of Israel as an eternal spiritual truth, that's bringing out the gnomic present, that expression, as an eternal spiritual truth. It's saying that Peter's saying that the prophets of Israel as an eternal spiritual truth were influenced or moved by the Holy Spirit from God. And then the present tense can also be translated or interpreted, and you can do both, as a customary or state of present, which talks about the subject existing in a state, an ongoing state. So that would indicate in this context that the prophets of Israel existed in the state of being influenced or moved by the Holy Spirit from God. And the passive voice of the verb speaks of the subject receiving uh, the action of the verb from an expressed or unexpressed agency. So, um, I was hit by the ball, okay? That's, it's a passive voice. I'm getting hit. It would be an active voice if I said, I hit the ball, but I was hit by the, I was hit by the ball because um, Clay threw it at my head or something. I don't know. I'm just making up stuff. So the passive voice indicates that the Holy Spirit, the, Holy, the Old Testament prophets, as the subject, received the action of being influenced by the Holy Spirit when they communicated their prophecies in writing. And also, it's interesting, the participle form of this verb could be interpreted as a temporal participle, in relation, which means in relation to the controlling verb, which is the word spoke, laleo, it answers the question, when? So what does that mean to us? Well, it would indicate that the prophets spoke while being influenced or moved by the Holy Spirit from God. And it also could be what we call a causal participle. And that appears to be the case here. And that means that this particular word, Pharaoh, is giving the reason, introducing the reason or the cause of the prophet speaking. So what would that indicate to us? It would indicate that the Old Testament prophets of Israel spoke from God because of being influenced by the Holy Spirit, because of being influenced by the Holy Spirit. That's bringing out the causal participle. So the latter would appear to be the better interpretation, the causal one, because it's more explicit and uh, than the former being a temporal participle because it presents to us, the reader, the explicit reason why the Old Testament prophets spoke from God. They spoke from God because of being influenced by the Holy Spirit. Unlike the false prophets that, uh, that Peter was using, dealing with in his contemporary situation. So the apostle Peter... His statement here in verse 20 means that the prophecies that were written by the prophets of Israel that appear in the Old Testament did not originate with them. So it's very interesting. It's very important that we understand when you run into people, right? Uh, Henry and I were at the Fab Four a couple weeks ago, and we, remember we, we had this, uh, this uh, there's a Beatle tribute band. And in, in, in intermission, when they were changing their costumes and everything, uh, Henry and uh, his friend were talking to this uh, guy who said he was a pastor. And then I came into the conversation, and he was like saying that he got this revelation from God, and that, uh, that the church needs to get um, cracking and get on fire, otherwise Christ won't come back. And so me being the pastor, I'm going, oh, really? <laughs> so you really want, you want to talk about this? So I talked to him, and I was trying, okay, be gentle. Yeah, was like, so I just said, okay, I listened to him, and, said, and then I said, well, he's coming back, my Bible's saying he's, he comes back whether we doing anything right or wrong or we're in apostasy or, or we're on fire for God. That's just not taught in scripture. Can you, I, and this is where I got him. I said, and I wasn't trying to like, you know, get him, get him. I was trying to say, well, look, I said, what passage? Okay, I'll believe you if you can me, give me some scripture. And he had not. He said, well, I don't have it. I was like, okay, so you got this revelation. And on, well, I, I mean, this is, the, were you an apostle? Because I, I, mean, I wanted to say that, is that because Jesus selected the people he wanted to write the New Testament. You had to be connected to an apostle. So I said, you know, I said, you know all due respect, you know, brother. He was a nice guy. He was a nice guy. But I was like, it's wrong. I, and so I was like, you, you, you are not, you are not, you are not, you are not getting revelation from God because we got the completed canon of Scripture already. And you weren't selected, by, you're not an apostle selected by Jesus. And even if I came out and said, I got extra biblical revelation, I got revelation on top of the Bible, you know? And this is that Tom Brady is going to come out of retirement and join the Patriots and they're going to join hands and win another Super Bowl for an eight time, or whatever they say, if he will be. Okay, that's just not going to happen because 
I mean, maybe have, but it's not from God. It's not revelation from God. So I don't care what anybody says they got this revelation from God. And there's people walking around like saying this stuff all the time. They're on television all the time. And you get the gullible. I, I hate to say it, but let's, let's call a spade a spade. Let's call it. Let's get right down and dirty. Dumb Christians. They're stupid. They don't have any doctrine. They don't know the word of God. And they go for this stuff and they buy this stuff. I remember talking about gullible. I had this, per, this woman who was in my church in Iowa, the first church plant. And boy, talk about she. She, we're, we're, we're in a restaurant with some other people. She goes, and she's asking, so, so what do you think of this guy, Joel Osteen? And I go, you really want to know? <laughs> she, I go, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Get away from him. Don't ever listen to him. She was like, she was literally like, I can't believe you said that. I was like, hey, why? And she goes, well, I think he's great. I says, well, why do you think he's great? I said, well, you know. I don't hear him quote scripture. You look at his books, he doesn't even talk about the cross. I mean, the gospel of Jesus Christ, he, he daily mentions Jesus and his suffering. Forget about suffering. You know, it's the prosperity gospel that's going on in our culture. No such thing as suffering. You know, Jesus and the apostles suffered, the prophets of Israel suffered. You're going to go through undeserved suffering sometime, not all the time, but they don't want to hear that, you know? And, and she, was, she couldn't believe it. I was like, yeah, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And here's my, I just gave you the reason because he doesn't preach the gospel. And yet he's, he's, like the, he's like the Christian Tony Robbins. He really is. And he's got his, and, he, and of course he got to have his dances, trot his wife up there with him. And she's gorgeous. Of course she's gorgeous. And there's up there, and he's, and he's like this. And oh gosh, and, but people buy that hook, line, sinker. You go to, he's, he's filling Dodger Stadium with 60,000 people. And he ain't teaching any doctrine, which just goes, goes to show you, you know, you know, Hitler said, you know, the bigger the lie, you know, people will fall for it, right? Well, that's what this guy does. And there's a lot of people like him have no clue. A lot of Christians say, oh, yeah, he's great. And, oh, yeah, he's great. He's not teaching anything in the Word of God. And the reason why they can't, they're, they're deceived by this stuff is because they don't know their Bible. And a lot of times it's, it's either two things or a combination. One, they don't want to hear sound doctrine. They don't want to hear the Word of God. Or two, the church they're going to, the guy's not teaching sound doctrine. And I would say to those people, and I've said to them, Get out of there and get fed. And he's like, yeah, what do you think? I said, the man does not live in bread alone from every, with every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You're looking at me like I have two heads. Of course you got to leave there. I don't care if it's, okay, if it's me and I'm not teaching doctrine. Get out of here. Send me back to Massachusetts in a box or something. The minute that stops, that's the, I stop teaching the word of God. Get me out of here. You know, put me out of my misery and, and put me in the, uh, I don't know. Somewhere in the, in, the, in the gulf there or whatever. Because I, I, I mean, it'd be horrible. But that's the thing. that People buy that stuff all the time. They're not speaking from God, these people. They're not going on the revelation that's already in Scripture. It's not added to... We can, people say, well, how come... You know, there could be other bo you know, books uh, added to the book. No. I said... And people... I had a family member. I said, no. No, no more books are being added for the New Testament. Even if we found a letter, a lost letter from Paul, I ain't getting in. Okay? We, we have the Holy Spirit has selected those apostles and you had to be connected to an apostle to, and for a book to be accepted and it had to have evidence, as we saw in canonicity, of the book being inspired by God. It had to be used by the churches and so they rec the church recognizes with the help of the Holy Spirit in discerning that this is inspired by God. And so these people that you walk into, these street preachers and these people on television, and they're saying they're speaking from God. No, they're not. And the only way, here's how you know a guy like myself or anybody is teaching from the Word of God, is teaching from God's will, or is pronouncing it. Do I stick to what the book says? And here's the other thing. Please, just because Bill says it, don't say, okay. Whatever, because then it becomes like I'm the Pope now. I told you before, a lot of Christians are doing that now, and they have their, their, their favorite, I don't care if it's your favorite Bible teacher, if, it, if it's not in the scripture, you don't, you check it out, and it's not there, don't accept it. There are some guys I really admire, 90% of the, 99% of the time, I agree with them. But there are a couple times, no, I don't see that. I'm not going to believe it. Okay? And it's this, and as far as the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith, we, we, we agree on. But there's interpretations on certain passages, which is not a big deal, is, yay. I, I, I have a problem with that. I'm not going to agree with that interpretation. And I have no problem if somebody says, well, I don't like that interpretation. I don't, it, well, that, well, what's your reason? And that's fine. Good. Give me the reason. Here's this, this, this bill. Fine. Good. All right. Maybe I'll change my point of view. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right. And I should change. And well, I will. So this is, you got to think for yourself. you got the Holy Spirit 
And so it's not just, you know, you're, you're listening, you're comparing, you're listening to this, the, it, my, uh, the information I've given you, like I gave explanations as to why my interpretation, I was giving you reason. I wasn't trying to impress anybody with Greek. I try to minimize it because you can get lost in it. If you don't understand Greek or Greek grammar or Hebrew grammar, you'll be like, huh? I don't want, I'm trying to make sure that you understand it. I'm not, I don't really care of impressing you about how technical I can become. Because if you read some of my stuff, I can be really super technical, but if it's going over your head, what good is it? So I'm trying to get as basic, you know, you get idea, get right to the point, hits causal, you know, this is, this is why I think it should be a translated imagination. I give you my reasons, and ba-da-ba. And so that's very important. You think, and I give you chapter and verse, compare scripture with scripture. You don't just build a doctrine off of one verse. And people do this all the time. They do this all the time. And so and you've got to compare scripture with scripture. If you don't, you can't accept it. You can't build a doctrine off the one passage of scripture. And this is what the false teachers do. Okay? This is they, what they do. So Warren Worsby, who's an old man now, he's in his 90s. He's, I'm still, he's, he's still alive, I believe. And uh, he actually has a podcast. And uh, he's, a, he's a great Bible teacher. He's, uh, he was... He, came out of Dallas and he, he had degrees some other place. But he has a great two-volume commentary. Well, actually, probably maybe four-volume because it's, uh, it's on the New Testament and he has an Old Testament one. And uh, excellent expositor. He's a great... He, he has had a lot of great books, great commentaries. He goes through the, like McGee did and uh, he's really a, a solid, uh, sound doctrinal guy. And, uh, and, and uh, I really like him over, over the years. I learned a lot from him. And he's got a great book called Real Worship. It's like one of the best books on worship Ever. And he, and he, it's really does a great job, very doctrinal. So Worsby has this following comment about 2 Peter 1.20. He says, and it's a little bit long, but not, it's not going to be a half hour. Just hear, he has some interesting to say, things to say, and I want to talk about. In 2 Peter 1.20, Peter, he says, was not prohibiting the private study of the Bible. Some religious groups have taught that only the spiritual leaders may interpret Scripture, and they have used this verse as their defense. Let me interject something here, because this I tell you, he brings up some interesting points. There's, you've heard me say this before, maybe not a lot here, but I've always said this. You have your corporate worship, okay, where you're hearing, you're, you're attending Bible classes, classes when your Bible, your pastor's teaching. You have your private sanctified time alone with God, okay? So he's talking about there are some pastors who will, don't, who uh, frown on that. I'd be like, Really? <laughs> These guys, why are they doing that? Because they want to control you. It kind of goes back to the Roman Catholic Church, what they've done over the last 1,000, uh, 1,500 years. They, they don't want the plowboy to know what the, what the Word of God says. They don't want an English translation so they can understand. You know, if they don't know Latin, too bad. In fact, I'm the only guy who can interpret the Old Testament and the New Testament, me, the Pope. This is basically what they say. Their authority. So, wait a minute, I got the Holy Spirit. Your higher authority than the Holy Spirit, Mr. Pope? Of course you're not. So this is very dangerous, he says. You know, having people, these religious uh, groups have taught that only spiritual leaders, he says, may interpret scripture, and they have used this verse as their defense. Worsby goes on to say, but Peter was not writing primarily about the interpretation of scripture, but the origin of scripture. It came about by the Holy Spirit through holy men of God, the Old Testament prophets, and since it came by the Spirit, it must be taught by the Spirit. Uh, let me interject something here. You have to be, that's why when we, before we have class, I make sure that we're all, we're in fellowship with God. Hey, I know what it's like to, I, when I was at Bob's church, it was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every evening and an hour, and then Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and I'd be in a job, you know, got, you know, got up at five in the morning, couple hours of study, driving a car, usually time, a lot of times it was like an hour to work, and then hour back, to, and then go to Bible class, and I would have, I did this for years, and ran a prep school, and then I had also, I, you know, I must have, I should have taken stock on, uh, on uh, Subway, you know, it's poison anyways, don't go there, but, <laughs> so it's like, uh, so I'm like, that's what I did for years, so I understand, when you come here, you you could be totally whacked out and tired. Oh, my boss is my boss is killing me. My husband, my wife are killing me. My girlfriend, my boyfriend's driving me up the wall. My kids are driving me crazy. They're teenagers now. I, I'm, you know, I get it. I get it. I know what it's like. You're, you're exhausted. I get it. I mean, I've been in, I've been in classes where Bob was teaching. I didn't mean to, but I'd be like, 
I'd be like nodding off sometimes. Not that he was boring, and he was not boring, you know. And uh, in fact, I like when he was a lot animated because it, it you know, it, oh, what did he just say? Cool. That, you know. So that was good, you know. And I think he kind of knew something when people were tired, and I know I kind of do the same thing. I mean, the only guy I remember when I was first sitting in for Bob, there was a, there was a good crowd. It was like when there was a this kid, and I. I'd never seen him before, but Bob knew him because he had a drug problem. And he, he'd been in and out, you know. He's fighting his drug problem. And I remember him like, he was out. I mean, he was just gone. He was like, uh, like just, and I'm just going, seriously? Am I that boring? <laughs> and Bob goes, oh yeah, he does that to me all the time. He's, ex- you know, he's, he's got a drug problem and he comes in here and, you know, he's trying to turn, you know, he'll be on fire. I'm going to get turned around and he falls off the wagon again. It's poor, it's sad. So, you know, I get it. So, I make sure that, I mentioned those because I make sure that we have a moment of silent prayer, and I, I learned this, and the great thing the colonel did was a great thing, I, I learned it from him. Take this moment of silent prayer, make sure you confess your sins, get, get ready, you know, get, you know, help me God to, to get ready, and, uh, you know, and the pastor, he's got to be in, fel- in fellowship with God because we all want the Holy Spirit to be working through us. Me communicating through the, by the Spirit to you, God's will, and you receiving it by the Spirit, making application. Understanding it by the Spirit and making application. Okay? So that's what he's talking about here. Paul, uh, Peter's talking about. Then where is B goes on to say? The word translated private, and he's using, this is why I mentioned the New King James Version, uh, their translation is knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. And I think the ESV, do they follow that same thing? Someone's own interpretation. But anyways, he's, re- he's actually reading from the King James, the New King James, I think. So that's why he uses private. So he says the word uh, translated private simply means one's own, which is what the ESV did, or its own. And then he says the suggestion is, since all scripture is inspired by the Spirit, it must all hang together, quote-unquote, and no one's scripture should be divorced from the others. Then, Wiersbe goes on to say, you can use the Bible, <laughs> this is true, you can use the Bible to prove almost anything if you isolate verses from their proper context, which is exactly the approach the false teachers use. And so I got to interject something. I have to say, I get these, I get these emails and messages from people because of my stuff on our websites and that we have. And uh, I had this one guy. He's read my article on the Antichrist, and the Antichrist brings out the nuts. Okay, I knew when I taught the series back in in Massachusetts that every crazy person who has all these crazy interpretations is going to say, I knew at first they're going to say it's the president. Whoever the president at the time, he's the Antichrist. It doesn't matter if it was George Bush or if it was Barack Obama or it was President Trump. And this guy says, just Trump, the Antichrist. It's like, come on. It's like, do you have any scripture to back it out? Is, is he a Roman dictator? Did he come from the final stage of the Roman Empire in the United States? No, he's an American. Hello. Come on. Where are you getting this stuff? I want to make, I don't like Trump, so I'm making him the Antichrist. And the conservatives do too. Obama? Definitely the Antichrist. He's taking away my guns. I remember my buddy when he got elected. He's like, he's freaking out. They're gonna take in Massachusetts. They're gonna take all our guns away. Well, he's probably trying to do that. Yeah. But he's like, I said. Then he go out and he got. He learned from a, a police officer how to make his own ammunition. I was like, that's a cool idea. So he said, you know, I said, look, they're not gonna take away the guns anytime soon. They're gonna work on it. They're gonna probably try to do that. Get it? Get all that. But he's not the Antichrist. For the same reasons Trump isn't, or any American president isn't. But they don't have any scripture. But Got to say it anyways. And there are people who are following these guys on YouTube, of course, everybody, Tom, Dick, and Harry's on YouTube, and I am too. But who's the quack, and who's the real guy, and who's the fraud, and who's one speaking from the Spirit? The guy who's following what the Scripture says and can interpret it correctly. That's the guy you want to listen to. But you have to be not a passive listener, but an active listener, and check out what the guy is saying. It doesn't matter if you like me, or you like the guy, it's not about the personality, it's is he doing the job. Like when you, when you, you run a company, the guy, the, you, you, when you go to review someone's performance, they're either doing the job or they're not, or they can do something better, or they can do, you know, whatever, but he's gotta be able to do the job. If he can't produce, you gotta say, sorry, but there's the door, unfortunately. Yeah, I need somebody who can do the job. Same thing with the pastor. He's either teaching the scriptures and God's giving you the Holy Spirit as well like I do so you can check me out. So, as Wiersbe says, you can use the Bible to prove almost anything if you isolate verses from their proper context. 
which is exactly the approach the false teachers use. That's why you'll see me when I did Jude. I'm in Obadiah, or I'm in 2 Peter, or 2 Timothy. I read the beginning of the chapter. Now, I, I had a guy, I know, there's a friend of mine, and he says, I never, I mean, we're doing, we're doing something, I was teaching something on, I think, sanctification. And I was in Romans 6. I was talking about ex- how you experience your sanctification. And I read the whole chapter 6 of Romans. He says, I never read the whole, been in a church where they read the whole chapter of Romans 6. Well, that tells you something, I was saying, that tells you something about the church you went to. Because you're not, you're not studying, I'll tell you right now, you're not studying a passage that you're working on in its context. That's why I'll read, if I, I'll read the, ch- not always the chapter, but I could read the paragraph. Because tr- I want you to find out, understand where the context is, what came before it, the immediate preceding context, and what came, comes after it many times. So that's why I'm trying to pay attention to context. Because, you know, I'd say, you'll hear me say, somebody said, well, what about this thing? I said, well, read the context. Now, where's the context? You, you can read it without, look, at we got the, 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 the translations we have, a tremendous scholarship with the Greek and the Hebrew. You got the word of God in there. It's just a question now. It's just read and pay attention to the context. When you're, you do this all the time at work, when you're reading something from your boss at email, you're paying attention to the things, the context. Because if you don't, you're gonna, something's going to be, you, you could cost you your job or cost the, the company a lot of money. And maybe injure somebody because you're in a life and death situation thing. Well, it's, you got to pay attention to context. Everything is about context. You know, like you, you know, people can say, "Well, I'm I'm gay." Well, what in what context? Today it could mean you're a homosexual, or it means you may, in the way it used to be, you're happy. You know, you hear some of these old these these songs. You know, gay like you know, like happy the Christmas songs. It's like you know, people say, "Oh, the younger kids go." Spoke gay people? You know, it's like, no, they used it differently back then. Context, you know? And today, the media is brilliant about, that's why the sound bites and all that stuff is really bad for politics in our country, and the media's doing this stuff where they take people out of context, they'll still grab something. The people who have an a axe to grind against Biden or Trump or whoever it is they don't like, they'll, anybody, entertainer, they'll take a snippet of what the person says, and they can make that person sound like Hitler if they wanted to. You could make me sound like Hitler. All you have to do is just pull things out, take this here, that there, and you can make me sound, say anything. And that's, what these, that's what's going on. They don't pay attention to the context. You know, I was talking to this historian. He's a, he goes to Wake Forest, and uh, he, he's a, he teaches at Wake Forest, and he's, uh, he also does work at Harvard, and uh, he's, uh, he's actually really interesting, cool guy. We have a lot in common. He's a big baseball, sports fan, music fan, history fan. We just talk all the time. And we were talking about when you looked at the, you know, how they're trying to tear down, you know, monuments, you know, like in the South, they're trying to tear down, you know, the statues of Robert E. Lee or whatever, you know. It's like, look at, you know, the people today, what they do is they take, they don't look at these men in their context, their historical context and the decisions that they had to make. You know, so you're passing judgment on them and you're looking at them from your own standards and your own war perspective, which is not you got to look at the historical context, you know? And you got to understand where these people were in and what, they, what situations were they dealing with. And instead of passing judgment, this person was an evil person, you know? Like, the, like with Robert E. Lee. Most people don't know that Robert E. Lee, when he, after the Civil War, there's a famous story, and we're witnesses to it. He gets up there, somebody, a black guy was t- getting communion, and Robert Lee goes, kneels down beside him in front of everybody in the town. You know, there was a lot of things going on that we don't, you know, we can't identify with because we're Americans in the 21st century. But we'll look at, we won't look at people in the historical context. That's why when I study the Bible, I tell you, study the historical context, the literary context. What type of literature are we reading? Is it poetry? Is it apocalyptic? Is it the gospel? And if it's history, what part of history are we talking about? Well, if you're going to, you're going to read the New, the New Testament, you better know a little bit about Roman Empire. And what's the culture then? And if you go to read something, Exodus, you're going to study about Egyptology, what Egypt was like. Or Babylon when you were in Daniel, or Medo Persia, because Medo Persia is in there. You gotta know something about the historical context. And a lot of people, a lot of Christians and pastors, are too lazy to look at that. And they're never gonna get anywhere spiritually. Is no, you, there's no getting around it. You and I, pastor and congregation, we have to put some work into it. We can't just sit there being passive like most people in America, where they're just like passive, like because the television. Television has made us passive. We don't, you know, we, 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 we're not really actively listening. 
you know, what does he just say? And it's hard, and you got, and you got, because we're it's so indoctrinated with our culture to be passive, you know. So we have to really fight against that. The great thing is with you guys, and you're like there are groups of Christians around the country, like in, in the world, like you guys, where you can concentrate, and it's no big deal for you to go an hour. Somebody comes in here. I remember there was a person who never, they never ever had uh, been in, sat in an hour. Some of my classes would be an hour, 15 minutes sometimes because, you know, I can get long-winded. And this guy comes in and he says, I couldn't believe how fast it went by. He says, I've never been in an hour, hour, and I, an hour and 15 minutes. Says, That's a good, you said that it was fast? That's good. That's great. But, you know, sometimes the subject might not be so exciting and you really have to concentrate. You know, that's why they, you know, new people come in, but then once you have to get to, like, this little difficult, it's not, oh, not every Bible class is going to be like, whoa. You know, sometimes it's going to be more calm and more you know, thinking about things and, and, and carefully considering things and more depth thinking and, and rather than, you know, addressing our emotions. Or our, everything has got to be addressing our volition and how we're going to make decisions. But very important that we keep these things in mind. So, again, Worsby says at the end of this slide, he says, Peter stated that the witness of the apostles confirmed the witness of the prophetic word. And then he says, there's one message with no contradiction. Therefore, the only way these false teachers can prove their heretical doctrines is by misusing the word of God. Isolated texts, apart from context, become pretext. Let me repeat that. It's very famous. Isolated texts, isolated text from its context, apart from context, become pretext. I'll give you a perfect example. In Christianity today, in America in the West since the 20th century because of the advent of feminism. And the West and America, and Western Europe and America are very much, feminism is very big, okay? It's affected the church. And it's affected interpretation. So we had, there's a thing called uh, people who are complementarians, that's what we would be, that the wife is a complement to her husband. She submits to her husband's authority as unto the Lord and he's supposed to love his wife like Christ loved the church, right? Egalitarians think that, there's, that women don't have to be subordinated to their, their, their husbands or men and that they don't have to support, uh, they could be pastors too. They call egalitarian. And they have one passage really that they use, Galatians 3.28. And you know it's, uh, what it says in Galatians 3.28, what it says, uh, just quickly show you this. It's really funny. Just give you an example. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male, female, for you all one in Christ Jesus. Now the word one there, they say it means equal. Nowhere, literally, nowhere in all the Greek literature is this word used to mean equal. Just isn't. You can look at any lexicon, right? But here's the thing. They're taking this passage. Paul goes back to the context, the beginning of the, you know, chapter 3. He goes, Paul's talking about, he's trying to support the fact that Christ is, the, you know, in you, Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. Your seed. Who's the seed? He says it's Christ. So through faith in Christ, all the nations of the earth can be blessed. Now he's saying in our day and age, right now, this is being fulfilled. And that's why he says what he says in, in Galatians 3.28. He's not abrogating the authority of men over women in the church and marriage or pastors over their congregation. And nor is he saying that now women can be, can be pastors. But they use, this is the only verse they have. And they take it out of context. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Pay attention to context, like uh, Worsby says. And then let me finish off the quote here. He goes on to say, the word of God was written to common people. Very important. I touched upon this, I think, last week or maybe Sunday. The word of God was written to common people, not to theological professors. Okay? The writers assumed that common people could read it, understand it, and apply it led by the same Holy Spirit who inspired it, okay? As I said before, you have the Spirit, I have the Spirit. The Bible, everything, it's easy to interpret the Bible in general. Are there difficult passages, very difficult passages to scholars, and we still debate things, yeah. But the message of the Bible is pretty easy. God, God, the whole world is under the wrath of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be delivered from the wrath of God because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Okay, to deliver us from the wrath of God and, and Satan and his cosmic system. Okay? With simple faith, you're delivered, you have eternal life, the forgiveness of sins. The basic message that God wants to establish his kingdom on the earth, and he's calling out a people for himself, all right? and he's going to establish his kingdom on the earth. 
The Bible message is pretty easy. Now, there's some passages that are very difficult to interpret, but no, there's no doctrine, cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith that is affected by these, these controversial passages. Okay? So, in, in other words, I'm saying anybody can re- understand the Bible. You don't have to be a Greek scholar. God wasn't writing to Greek scholars or Hebrew scholars. Do we have Hebrew and Greek scholars? Yes, they have the gift of wisdom. They have, some guys and women have very, very talented, very intellectual. They're great in the languages. Great, okay? But not everybody's like that, okay? So what I'm saying to you is that don't be intimidated by the Bible and say, well, I need to learn Greek. You don't have to learn Greek. If the Holy Spirit's leading you to read, you learn Hebrew and Greek, great. Okay? But you don't have to. Because you got your, they got the word of God in these translations, period. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to have an IQ that's crazy. Okay? In fact, I found, listen to me, I found people who are extremely intelligent. I, for some reason, I have these kind of people track, I track these kind of people. I don't know why, because I'm not the I'm not like a genius, as you could tell. So this, the, the, the people who are so super intelligent that they the big temptation with them is that they use their, their intellect and rationalism instead of going into the scriptures and pay attention to the scripture, they use their own rationale because they're so smart. They could, their mind is like, but that's the worst thing. It's better that you be have a, an IQ over room temperature, just over room and temperature, and you're totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit, prayerfully studying the Word of God, than that person who's brilliant, has a tremendous IQ, but doesn't see their need for the Holy Spirit, but depends on their rational intellectual ability that they have. So, in fact, the New Testament was written Koine Greek. Koine means common. It was the common language. It, common folk. The early church, there were a lot of slaves there. There were tons of slaves in the early church. Christianity proliferated tremendously fast because it gave hope for the slaves who had no freedom. And a lot of these people were illiterate. Not not all of them, because some slaves had great technical skills. Some of them were teachers, professors, philosophers, and Roman families would use these. They, they take care of them really well. In fact, they were treated as part of the family, many of these people. Okay, so uh, Worsby then goes. He says in, uh, in at the beginning again of the quote. He says the word of God was written to common people, but not to theological professors. The writers assumed that common people could read it and understand it and apply it, led by the same Holy Spirit who inspired it. And then he says, the humble individual can learn about God as he reads and meditates on the word of God. He does not need the experts to show him the truth, but he has the caveat. However, this does not deny the ministry of teachers in the church. He cites Ephesians 4.11. Special people, he says, who have a gift for explaining and applying the scriptures. That's what he says here. And then he closes it by saying, nor does it deny the collective wisdom of the church as over the ages these doctrines have been defined and refined teachers and creeds have their place but these must not usurp the authority of the word of God over the conscience of the individual believer end of quote now he says an interesting thing he says we're not to deny the collective wisdom of the church listen when you're an interpreter you've heard me say this when I interpret a passage I'm not interpreting in a vacuum it's not just me and God it is to a certain extent but before I bring out my interpretation and communicate it to you, if I have, there's all these people, all these men who gave their lives like I'm trying to for Jesus and to learn the Bible, that's why I go to commentaries. I work out my, the passage, figure it out, go through the text, blah, 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 get my written on Then I go to the commentaries after I've done all my work and see what they have to say. And I've said this before. If my interpretation is a novel one and like nobody ever came up with this one, I go, oops, I must have screwed up here. Because if I'm the only one in the history of the church, an interpretation of the Bible, to have this interpretation, you got to go back to the drawing board. Yep, and, and, and you know what? And I've done that. I don't say, where did I get, is this anywhere? And I look back, and then I read somebody who corrects me. So the commentators are kind of like your sparring partners for a pastor. And so you, you, they're like your sparring partners, and they refine you, help you refine your craft. So very important. So when I, when I interpret, and this is true for you, you know, we just can't focus on our favorite. There's a whole bunch of pastors and great Bible teachers in the church's history, even today, that there's some Christians that that's all they listen to is Dr. So-and-so. They won't listen to anybody else. 
Somebody tried to do that with me. Said, don't you do, uh, yes, I'm being a pastor, but don't you say I'm the only show in town. Because some pastors will say that about themselves. I am not. There were a lot of guys who were phenomenal. Better speakers, better at application, better at darkroom, better in the languages, by far. So don't, don't think that I'm the only guy. Or any pastor is, oh, it's him and nobody else. No, 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 that's dangerous. We're not, we, we, we belong, to, our heritage is vast and ancient. And we got, we got people all around this country still. We, yes, Christianity, its influence has waned, and we have a lot of apostasy, but we still have a lot of great pastors and great Christians out there in this country and around the world, overseas. You're not alone. So we just can't just say, well, I'm never going to listen to anybody else but my pastor. I don't mind if you listen to somebody else, but you've got to be careful. Make sure you're not listening to somebody who's got false teaching, you know, who's teaching you false doctrine. And very important. So in 2 Peter... 120 and 21. Let's look at that again. It says, and I'm reading from the NIV. I won't be reading from the, the Net Bible like I did the other day. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things or their own imagination, like the, I say in the Net Bible. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in 2 Peter 1:20 and 21, Peter's emphatically denying that the Holy Spirit, the Old Testament prophecy, he's emphatically denying that Old Testament prophecy originates from human initiative. He also equally emphatically asserts that the Old Testament prophetic literature originates with God. How do we know that? Fulfill prophecy. You know, very. I have a take advantage of that website because you look at the written library under Christology. There's prophecies fulfilled by Jesus Christ during His first advent. It's just a, not very vast article. Some of my articles could be like 300 pages. Okay, but. This one is very short. Use it because it's great. Because it's a great evangelism tool. Why do you believe the Bible is what it says? Look at this prophecy. Some of you can probably do it now with Obadiah we have. First, four, four, first 15, 16 verses are all done in history. First 15. Okay? With the Babylonian, with Eden being destroyed. Okay? Because of what they did to Judah. Been filled in history. Can't argue with it. And there's, like Daniel's the same way. Daniel, the first, first 35 verses of chapter, chapter 11 are done. Daniel 9, 24 through 26 is all fulfilled in history. Minute detail. We're only waiting for the 70th week, verse 27, to be fulfilled. There's tons of Daniel chapter 11. As I said before, it's phenomenal. So fulfilled prophecy, when you look at those prophecies that Christ fulfilled during his first advent, I did this, I told you I did this with a, a buddy of mine who used to cut my hair. Did a great job. I don't have any hair anymore. So he, we, I, we, him and his wife, he's, he, was, he divorced. She never, he was desperately, I told him not to marry her. Because I was breaking up with my girl who was not into Bible doctrine. We used to double. And I said, I can't marry her. She, she, doesn't, she's, she thinks I'm a nut, which I, I get that. I am a nut. But I was like, she thinks I'm crazy because I'm studying the Bible as much as I do. And I'm going to. And so I, I need to have somebody. I, I couldn't marry somebody. Who, you know, what if I had kids with her? It was like, how are we going to raise them? You know, to, according to Cosmopolitan magazine or something like that. I don't want to do that. You know, like, so I was like, I broke up with her. I said, you're going to kill me. It took me three years to do it. And he's like fighting with his eyes. Just break up with her. Because she's not, you're not going to, he tried desperately this. It's not going to work. You're in the same situation as I am. And if you go marry, it's going to be, it's going to be a disaster for you. Because just, just be just, and he didn't listen to me. And it was a disaster for him to be divorced. And I guess he got, after they broke up and they would, you know, he married, remarried this Christian girl that loves the Lord. I met her because she's great. Thank God for him. But he has, <laughs> he's like, you know, he, she gets saved after the whole thing, right? So anyway, I, I was, one night, we went out. Um, I had broken up, and I, was, and I had, she was the only one who was awake. He'd fallen asleep. We went out to dinner at some Italian restaurant. Here. Oh, we had good, good Italian food in, in Rhode Island. And he's asleep. And I'm giving, I'm talking, and I got the prophecy of Psalm 22. He's pierced through for our transgressions. Hop over to Matthew, get the Bible right there in front of her. And then, you know, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage. And then I take her into the Gospels, here, there, and everything. And he's just, and I could see, I could see her. She was like, I go, jump. And I go, it's like one of them, just jump, will you? It's like a little, you know, like when I was like a kid, afraid to go into the deep end, you know, when I was swimming. And I cried, I can't go in the 10 feet water. I can't. My mother's, please, just jump in, Billy. It's like, I'm embarrassing me. It's like, no, I can't. It's deep. I can't find How am I going to drown? Nobody's going to let you drown, Billy. I wouldn't go in. But that's the way she was. Oh, can I do it? And she, and she wouldn't do it. And I was like, well, well at least maybe I, I think I planted a seed, at least I hope. 
Well, she ended up getting saved. I, I don't know I had anything I, I had to say, but who cares? She got saved. But the thing is, she was prophecy. It proves, fulfilled prophecy, proves that the Bible's inspired by God. Here's the other thing. I like to use this on people who knew me back when. When I was younger, you know, and a teenager in a rock band, and you know what rock band guys do, right? I said, look at the way the word, I, I said, you know, I know the Bible's inspired by God. It changed my life. Can you believe? You knew me when? Can you believe I'm a pastor? Are you kidding me? You knew the, how I was. I was a rock and roller. In fact, I made fun of Christians. I remember the first band I ever saw a live band. It was a bunch of, it was a Christian rock band. Said, Come on, a Christian rock band. Get out of here. And they're sitting making fun of them. And sure enough, you'll be playing in one of them before you know it. So I'm, I'm sitting there making fun of them. It's like, no way. And I said, is my life changed? Am I a different person? Yeah. You can't deny it. How did that happen? This book is divine. Don't ask me. I, I wasn't planning on this. I, who do you know plans on becoming a, a follower of Jesus and a pastor? Okay? Most people say, no fun. <laughs> I, love, I love when women go, the women, they find out I'm a pastor. They might like, and they go, I'm a pastor. I might as well just tell them I'm gay. Because they're out of there. They, 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 they say, it's great. It's a great, it just drives off all the ones that you don't want to go near you, right? And it's like, but I said, look at you, you look at, I changed. How can you explain that? How can you explain the whole change? Ch it's like Apostle Paul. I like, to, I like to, Paul's even, he's much better than me. Paul, he persecuted the church. He had everything to lose by following Jesus. His whole countrymen, all of his countrymen, they disowned people who, who followed Jesus. Kicked him out of the synagogue. That was terrible for a Jew. You lost business contacts. Nobody could marry your kids. You were up the creek without a paddle. You were on an island from the pressure, okay? So, you know, you have um, all this going on, right? And Paul, he all of a sudden is following Jesus. He's trying to kill everybody close to him who's following him. And yet, what caused that change? He saw the resurrected Christ. How else could you explain that? That's another evidence that the scripture is inspired by God. That account of Paul's getting saved. Absolutely. So, we see, back to this, uh, my, my slide here on the board. I haven't even got to this point, actually. Peter, Peter, blah, blah, blah. Peter is teaching. I'm going to wrap this up. Oh, my goodness. Peter is teaching his readers that the Old Testament prophets were influenced by the omnipotence of the person of the Holy Spirit, which enabled them to communicate in writing with perfect accuracy God the Father's sovereign will. Well, we'll have to stop there and uh, we'll, uh, let me just uh, close in prayer and then I'll just sing you a quick song and get you out of here, if you don't mind. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that this lesson will be a blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ, and helping us to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it is in his name we pray. Amen. All right. If you need to get out of here, go ahead. You're not going to insult me. Probably the whole place would be deserted. <laughs> All right. All right. Let me just move this over here. See if I can chew gum and walk at the same time. All right. This is a, a rocker, so... For those of you who don't like rockers, look out. Pray for me. <laughs> Hi. Wretched man, this is what I am. Wretched man, this is what I am Helpless, hopeless, tangled up in sin Ah, oh, who set me free from this body of death Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ my Lord Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ my Lord I've been freed from sin yeah, 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 I've been free.